Hey everyone. It's that weird time of year between Christmas and New Year's that every day you're like, what day is it? Anybody with me? Yeah. So Christmas felt like Saturday, and then Thursday also felt like Saturday, and then Friday, I'm like, what day am I preaching? Um, so yeah, so Sunday. I'm glad you guys found your way to Sunday um, to hang out with us and to open God's Word and be encouraged with us. Uh, so yeah, this is that funky time of year. Um, so this is like not quite a New Year's message, and it's also not quite a Christmas message, although we're kind of still in Luke 2. But Jesus is already born, so it feels like the angels are gone, shepherds have packed it up, the Magi haven't even arrived yet. So we're like kind of in this weird place in this story where Jesus, um, his parents bring him to the temple. So um, I, want us to, I want to show you a few things from this. And hopefully um, we can be encouraged together as we uh, look at this passage. Um, and it's funny because I didn't really tell anybody what I was talking about. Um, but yet the themes are, are, have been sung and spoken throughout the service. So that is God and that's the Holy Spirit doing his thing. And that's awesome. I hope that um, you hear these things kind of reverberating in your own heart and your own soul as we take a peek in this passage together. So we already heard it read, uh, but I want to back up, because I think when I told them I wasn't going to use verse 21, but I am now. So, because it kind of helps set the context for what's going on in this passage. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, so in Jewish culture, they circumcised the, the little boys, eight days, and as a part of that ceremony, they named them, so... And when eight days had passed, before his circumcision showed, so before that actual ceremony had happened, they named him. His name was then called Jesus, the name by the angel, uh, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So we're eight days after his birth. And then it says, and when the days for their purification before the law of Moses were completed, and we can look in Leviticus if you want to look. Leviticus chapter 12 um, tells us, or the timeline for that, what's actually necessary. So in order for um, Mary to be considered ceremonial, ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean, she would need to wait till after the circumcision, and then 31 days later, so or 33 days later, so 41 total days, she would be unclean, not able to really leave the house or have any, any interactions with people. But up until this point, um, she's just kind of hanging out. And then... She goes and, and she's told in, in this passage here in Leviticus chapter 12, they're told at the end of that time, you would take um, a sacrifice and go and make a sacrifice for purification. So that's what it's talking about here. So the, this is the reason that they're heading into the temple. The second reason is also from the Old Testament. They need to fulfill another law. And that's there in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And this is all the way back to Exodus chapter um, 13. And this is at the tail end of that passage where God is bringing the, the plagues upon, uh, uh, upon um, the um, Egyptians. And at the very end of that, you know, he brings the, 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 the angel of, of death that's going to come and touch every home. And the firstborn of every home is going to die. And he tells the Israelites, that if you put this blood over the doorpost of your home and you sacrifice this lamb in this way, the angel will pass over your home, hence the name Passover. And, and he says, so every firstborn of the house of Israel is going to be, uh, should be um, given to the Lord. 
And so this is part of that promise, that part of this law that they're going to go fulfill. They're going to go and give another sacrifice, fulfilling this part where Jesus is the firstborn from Mary. And so they're going to go and, and give this. So this is what's driving them to Jerusalem at this point in time. This isn't just like a random visit to the temple. This isn't just sightseeing. They're going to fulfill the law. Two different, in two different ways, they're going to fulfill the law. And in fulfilling the law, I love how God orchestrates this stuff, because again, it's not just random. God's, God's sovereign over all, the, all of these events. And so in fulfilling these two parts of the law, they run into two different people. And when they run into them, some really interesting things happen. And this is what I want us to kind of focus on, is these two people and their interactions with them, and what goes on with that. So the first person that they run into, it starts there in verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking, or the ESV, because most of you guys are probably carrying ESV, what does it say? Waiting. Right? You can say that out loud. We're all friends here. We made everybody move forward, so we have to be comfortable with one another. It waiting, looking or waiting, is the, is the word there. Same idea. So they're looking or waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, I want us to talk about this concept of waiting, because this is... Something you kind of fly by to get to what Simeon actually says over Jesus and what he says over top of Mary and Joseph. You kind of like pass this part, but I'm like, waiting, that's interesting. Um, that he was waiting. And what, it, it says something really interesting about how he waits. Um, the Holy Spirit has a big part in this guy's life. He's looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Lord's Messiah, God's anointed, God sent one. God told him through the Holy Spirit, you're not going to die till you see Messiah. What a crazy promise. Like, it doesn't even tell us how old this guy really was. But, but I mean, in order to tell us that, you're telling us that he's been waiting a long time. He's been waiting. Waiting is hard. Anybody? I mean, we just got past Christmas. So it's not like his room because we sat down playing the street. But waiting is hard. You guys picked up on that? That was Alex's joke. I'm just kind of carrying that on. <laughs> Waiting is hard. You know, we, you, you give your Christmas list, and you're just kind of like, is it going to come? Is it going to happen? So I had this like waiting kind of experience with one of my nephews on Christmas Day. So um, we, our, our house is finally in a place where we can actually have people over and celebrate in a safe way. There's not like nails and things hanging out. So invite our family. So my sister from Jersey comes, her husband, their four kids, and my parents and Sarah's parents. We kind of had a full house with all of our kids and all that. They're running around. And so Christmas morning had just happened. So there's literally just stuff still scattered, even though I'm trying to organize it. And um, my sister's youngest son, his name is Elijah, he discovers my kid's stockings. Now, I don't know what you stuff your kid's stockings with, but like most of it is cheap candy for us, okay? So stuff with cheap candy, he discovers the candy. And my son Asher, trying to like keep him from eating the candy, tells him, I'll give you a candy cane when you guys leave. All right? So that was smart on Ash's part because it kind of delays the inevitable. But also he's probably hoping that Elijah will forget or the parents will rush him out the door because he's asleep and he won't ever have to give him a candy cane. So Elijah, thinking my sister gets there at 2, we eat around 2.30, probably at 3.30. They're in our house about an hour and a half. Elijah comes to my, comes to my sister Rachel and says, Mom, I want to go home. She's like, why? Are you tired? Are you like, are you not feeling well? She's going through all the parent things. You're like, you need a nap. It's only been here an hour and a half. You know, we drove longer than it's, we've actually been here. So, so she's like going through all this stuff and she finally realizes that leaving for him equals candy cane. 
So he wants this candy cane. She says, no, we're not leaving. You're not leaving yet. You've got to wait for this candy cane. And Ashley's looking at me like, oh, I hope he forgets. <laughs> so he's waiting. And so, but like waiting for him, just it's not, he's not waiting until mom's like, let's go. He's, I'm going to wait 15 minutes. And then ask mom again, hey, time to go? Wrap up? Everybody's jackets? I'm not joking. He probably asked a half dozen times. And then like four hours of they were at our house that he wanted to go. Because waiting is hard. Because he had this kind of expectation of what's going to happen, and he wanted it now. And he didn't want to wait for it. Why is waiting so difficult? I think waiting is hard because we don't always know what's going to happen. So there's kind of like that nervous part of us. There's that waiting because we, we maybe we kind of have an expectation. We just really want it to happen now. But here's Simeon just literally waiting his entire life. I don't, we don't know when the Holy Spirit revealed this to him, that he's going to be alive until he sees Messiah. But he's just waiting. He's waiting. And the, well, I think there's a few things that waiting exposes for us or shows to us. And so I, I want us to just hopefully see these things. Um, number one, we wait for the things that we hope for. And, you know, Elijah's hoping for this candy cane. And it wasn't one of those junky, like, cinnamon ones. Come on. It was a jelly belly one. It was the good stuff. So he had a real good reason to be waiting. No, but he was hoping in this really good candy, so you wait for it. And for Simeon, he knows what he's hoping in. He's, he knows what he's really expecting. Look what that verse says again. It says he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for this um, comforting, this righting of wrongs for Israel. You know, we, we read this, and again, it sounds kind of like a nice poetic piece that Luke just kind of pulled out and stuck in this passage. Consolation of Israel is going to make for really nice lyrics at some point when somebody writes a song, a Christmas song about this, right? No. Um, the rabbis actually, this is a rabbinical or messianic term. The, the, the Messiah is a consoler. So when he's saying the consolation of Israel, he has messianic terms in his mind. He's thinking about Messiah. He's thinking about the Savior that's to come, this promised one. This isn't just a random term. This means something to Luke. This means something to Simeon. He has hope that, that, that God's doing something, that God's going to send someone that's going to fix these problems that Israel's been dealing with forever. So Simeon's been waiting. He's been waiting and this consolation, I think, it's not like this magic bullet idea because we kind of get this in our own heads. You know, if God can just give me this thing that I need, it'll all be better. I just get this promotion at work, man, it'll give us a, a buffer that we need in our finances, and then, then I'll be able to give at church, and then, you know, we have all these and-then kind of scenarios because, but it's all hanging on this one thing. It's hanging on this piece that, hmm, I'm not really sure that's what God wants us to be putting our hope in. We're waiting for something to solve all, solve all of our issues. Um, so uh, waiting is hard, but waiting reveals something for us. Um, I think waiting reveals to us that, uh, that, that, that this is really a faith matter. Waiting is a faith matter. Um, in Hebrews chapter 1, a really familiar passage, um, he tells us this. Uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11.1, 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You know, in this context, in our context, we use hope in a really kind of flimsy way, right? Gee, I hope, where's Andrew? I hope the Eagles do okay. What is it? You're wearing the, the jersey two weeks in a row because it means something special, I heard you say. Yeah, so he has like this, I hope, I hope the Eagles come through. Gee, I really hope 
you know, traffic's going to be okay on the way home today. Gee, I really hope I can get those Pizza Hut breadsticks that I've been thinking about for like four weeks. That's true for me, honestly. I can't get them out of my head. But we, we get these things that we just kind of like have this flimsy hope around, and that is not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. When he says hope, look at it again. We are not there. I'll look at it and read it for you. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. When he says hope here, it is a confident assurance. It's not a, gee, I hope. It is going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Well, for here, because God promised it. God promised this thing. It's going to happen. God doesn't go back on his word. In other places in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, it says God promises against himself when he makes promises, when he makes his covenants. He's making it up against himself. God doesn't fall back on his promises. So faith, faith is, is really at the bottom of our, of our waiting game. And we need to understand what are we really waiting for? What are, are, we, are we waiting for something? Are we putting our consolation in something that's other than God? You know, our, the consolation of our lives, the thing that's going to right all of our wrongs, that thing that's going to make everything come together, that boyfriend that's going to meet all of our needs, that job, that promotion, that new house, whatever. Whatever that thing is that we're putting our hope in, like that thing is that taking the place of God. There's so many things that I think for Simeon and the rest of Israel at this time they could be hoping in. And and actually, um, that consolation of Israel, again, that's a messianic term for us. So he's pointing to a Savior, he's pointing to Messiah. But how they understood that at that point in time is really interesting. I'm not going to like look through all these passages, I just want to share a few things. So there was probably at least three, but probably more, a ways that Jews at this time thought of Messiah. So one of the ways they thought of Messiah was of this, well, Davidic, right? There's all these Davidic promises that the, the, the um, scepter will never depart from his feet kind of idea when he's, the, um, Jacob's doing his promise over, over Judah. So there's these Davidic kind of kingly promises. So there's this kingly expectation of what Messiah would look like. So they're hoping for this king to show up on the scene. Is, is Israel ruling themselves at this point in time? No. No, Rome was in charge. And before that, it was the Greeks. And before that, it was like all these people in charge. So all this stuff is just going wrong for them. They need someone to take charge. And so they're waiting for a kingly person to show up and to make things right. But it doesn't happen. So who else are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting for maybe a conqueror. And they're waiting for someone to come in and to defeat all of their enemies. You know, there's those passages. They will be at his feet. And they will sit at his feet. So they're waiting for a... um, uh, a general to show up on a white horse. And so there's, and then there's people that are waiting for a prophet, another prophet to show up. There's been 400 years of silence from God. And so they're waiting to hear from God. So is it going to be a prophet, a prophetic kind of Messiah? Is there going to be a priestly kind of Messiah? There's all these visions, and it, it, it got so kind of scattered that they weren't even looking for one person anymore. They were thinking maybe there might be two or three different Messiahs that God sends to write all these different pieces that have gone wrong for Israel. But, but for, for Simeon, I don't, I don't think he was, he was missing out on, on all these different pieces. He wasn't confused about what he was actually looking for. Um, and I think we'll see that a little bit later in the passage about, because of how he talks. I think it's going to be pretty clear what he was meaning. But there's all these different pieces that, that, the, that the Israelites were missing. They were missing the real point. And I think for us, we can miss the real point when we're waiting too. We can kind of get our eyes off of what God really wants for us and what he's really telling us. 
So when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit says to him, you won't see death before you've seen the Lord's Christ, I, I do wonder what was initially in his head. Was it any of these pictures? Do you think, I wonder, if he thought he would like come into the city one day and there would be this guy on the white horse, like with the sword, you know, calling out for Yeshua. And he's like, that's the guy. I've been waiting for him. I, I, I mean, I don't know. What was he, in his mind, do you think he was putting together all of these Old Testament passages and a child will be born? Do you think he was waiting for the child? You think he would, I don't know, but it, it's interesting to think that he was, he was just waiting. And he, didn't know, he didn't exactly know what it was going to look like or how God was going to bring all these pieces together. In verse 27, it says, And he came in the Spirit, so the Spirit so worked on him. The Spirit shows up 400 times for, for Simeon. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, so the Holy Spirit wakes him up. Holy Spirit alarm clock that day. He knows, this is the day. Something's happening. The Holy Spirit's leading me. You know, so he's like, almost Holy Spirit high, moving to the temple. And when his parents brought the child in, Jesus in, to carry out for the custom of the law like we've seen before, it's like, then Simeon sees him. And I wonder if he knew right away. Or again, Holy Spirit's on him, so I, I highly doubt that he like, looked over him. But in all this waiting, and what he was really expecting, I, I, I have to wonder, though, did his eyes, was he looking for some, some dude to come in? He's waiting for that king. He's waiting for that you know, messianic um, conqueror. What was he waiting for? But he, he sees this child. And his response is amazing because he takes him up into his arms. But for us, it doesn't happen that way. You know, we don't always have the Holy Spirit like that arrow indicator just like leading us all the way to the right answer. Because sometimes I think when God's answers feel like nine answers, sometimes God's answers feel more like Questions? Got a baby? I've been waiting for a deliverer. You've promised, I've read those passages of a savior, and here's a baby? Your answer means more waiting? Like, think about that. Like, so, okay, savior's here, I have him in my arms. Now what? Do I take him here? What do I do with this? What do, he's, he's not saving us now. He's not, he's not delivering us now. What do we do? What do in that moment, um, in that split second before he turns and starts speaking praises, like what's in his head? And for us, when God brings an answer that feels like a not answer, that feels like almost a letdown, what do we do with that? I think it's going to point us back to where is our faith in that front end piece? Is our faith really in God, what he says, what he's promised to us. If, it, if it's anywhere else, I think when God brings an answer, we're going to be really dissatisfied. We might even like doing it easy. Okay. Right? If our faith isn't believing what God has said about himself, we're going to be in deep trouble. Um, Sarah and I get a, an awesome privilege of um, every couple months we get to, to do these weekend um, weekends with, with people who are married, but their marriages are like falling apart. And so one of the first things I talk with them about is faith. Um, I think it's the very first night. After they kind of tell us their stories, I come back to them and I say, look, I want to talk with you about what you're believing in, what you're hoping in. Where, where's the hope for your marriage right now? Because a lot of us, you know, we, we want to say we have hope. We want to say that we believe something. 
but it's, it's, if it's not really connected into Jesus and what he can do in us, we're going to get lost and it's going to fall apart. And so one of the things I tell them is, look, I want, you to have, I want you to have hope, I want you to have faith, but I want you to believe two things. I want you to believe that God is good. And we sang this night, you were good, sang it over and over. But the thing I think that song leaves out is the second part, that God is not only good, but he's able. Because if we believe in a God who's just good, like, he wants really good things for us. And, he, and, you know, he's thinking, sending us good thoughts. But if he's not able to act on those things, what good is that? What, what kind of God is that? What if our God is able? He's, he's all-powerful, but he's not good. That's a scary God. He can do whatever he wants, but he's not for you. He's not looking out for you. He doesn't want what's best for you. He's going to do whatever no, we serve a God, and this is where our faith needs to be, that our God is both good and able. He's loving and capable to act on our behalf. Like we, I, don't, I don't want us to lose sight of that, that this is the kind of faith, this is the kind of God that we can like fully lean into, that this is who God wants us to see him as. Our faith in him being good and able, capable and loving. And loving. So we see here, um, when, we're, when these questions are raising for us. I, I, I read this story last week. It really made me laugh. It was terrible, though. So this guy, at Black Friday, around that time of year, just, uh, what, just a month ago, I guess. So he sees the sales for an item that he wants that he's not sure anybody's going to get him, so he thinks, I'm just going to buy it myself. Right? So I'm just going to do it because I'm not sure anybody's ever going to come through for me on this. So... He's going to buy a Nintendo Switch. Because that's what grown adults do these days. So I'm going to go and buy this Switch. And he tells his dad, and says, his dad says, don't, don't get it. And he's hinting at him that I'm going to get it for you. So the guy, I'm going to get it. Dad says, no. So he says, all right. So he's like, dad's going to get it for me. This is awesome. I'm, going to, I'm looking forward to this again. Waiting game. He's, now he's waiting a month until Christmas. And... Christmas comes around, his dad, you know, ear to ear smile, hands him this present, he opens it up, and it's a light switch. Not a switch light, a light switch. His dad, in probably the most like dad joke fashion, is just laughing because he thinks this is hilarious that he gave him a 98 cent light switch and not a $300 gaming system. And this guy is so let down because he put all of his hope in this present. But he was let down and disappointed and then venting on the internet about it. Because that's, again, what we do as adults now. So he's venting. He's not, he's not happy. He's let down. But like when, when we think God has let us down, what are we doing with that? When we think God says to us, like, it's not right now. It's not that person. It's not that place. Not that job. No, I want you to stay here. I want you to sit. I want you to endure through this longer. When God answers questions sovereignly that way, what do we do with that? And if our faith isn't in believing that he is, what was it? You help me out. If he's not good and capable, man, we're, we're getting bitter. Because God's answers aren't good enough for me. God doesn't want what's best for me. And that's what we start to think. That's what we start to believe. Um, what I want us to understand, two other passages I just quickly want to flip to. Um, in Romans chapter 11, and uh, towards the tail end of that passage, in verse 33, 34, he says, Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable are his ways. 
So when God acts, when God answers, and we don't get it, and I'm going to say most of the time we're probably in that place of not fully getting it, we don't see the bigger picture, you know, we don't understand, maybe at that time Simeon's like, okay, this is Messiah, I don't see how God's going to work all these things out, I don't see yet how this little baby is the consolation of Israel of years and years and of, you know, literally decades of decades of waiting all the way back from Genesis chapter 3 and onward, waiting for God's promises to be enacted. I don't get it. I don't see it. He says, how unsearchable are the judgments? Unfathomable are his ways. Like, we can't plumb the depths of God's wisdom. We can't get there on our own. His ways, um, verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord, who can become his counselor? We, we don't get it. And we have to come to a, a place where we understand this and accept it. I, I get it. Like, God's bigger than me. His, his plans have, um, have, have started from eternity past. He's doing his thing, and I, I need to believe. Again, he's good. He's capable. He's doing what he knows is best for us and for the world. And 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 26 and following, a little more to help us flesh this out. For consider your calling, brethren, that... There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, and the base things of the world, and the, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God, but by, but by his doing. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What God is doing, he does in a way that, that's not going to make sense to us. And maybe in that split second before Simeon and faith believed and spoke out, he, he might have had those questions. But this, I think these undergirding reasons here... God's ways aren't our ways, but faith says God's ways are best. Faith says that God's ways are best. For me, for you, it might not make sense right now, but his ways are best. And then Simeon opens his mouth and he speaks. And th this is an awesome response, and I think there's some things that we can take away from this too. So he picks him up. He picks him up, took him in his arms, verse 28, and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. So, first thing, he recognized that God's way brings peace. So I can depart in peace here. I don't have to, you know, depart like writhing my hands. Oh, what's God going to do with this baby? I don't know. Like, no. He believes. God's powerful. God's able. God, God's plans are bigger than my mind can comprehend. God's going to do his thing. It's going to work out because God is in control. They're muting me back there. So they believe. He believes. And so he knows I can depart in peace. According to your word, again, what the Holy Spirit has told him is going to happen. And then I, I really like this. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's like back in Titus chapter 3, like when God's grace had appeared, there was this like, get all of God's promises, all of God's salvific plans, 
in the form of Jesus. And he sees your salvation, sees God's salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And so he's, he's, again, doing this really awesome thing that was not super clear to most of the, the, the Jewish people at the time, that God's salvation was not just for them. If we had a ton of time, we could, well, we're going to get there, and that's really cool. In Ephesians chapter 3, um, uh, Paul tells the Gentiles in Ephesus that um, God had this mystery, and this mystery idea shows up quite a bit here in chapters 2 and 3, but he says, um, Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, that by revelation was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote about it before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. So God was doing something that he wasn't fully revealing yet, uh, but he has now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the, in the Spirit, verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace. So this, this, is, what, this is what Simeon is prophesying about in this passage. He says that God shows, his, shows off his salvation before all peoples. This is for all people. This is for Gentile and Jew. This is for everybody. This isn't just, just for the Jewish people, or that wouldn't be super awesome for us to celebrate, because probably most of us here are not Jewish. So he goes on and says, Would you prepare the presence of all people? A light of revelation to the Gentiles. A light. See, God sent Jesus to be this light that shows truth to them that they didn't know about before. So a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, and the glory of your people Israel. Again, so Israel's restoration um, we can read a lot more about that in, in, in the middle of, or towards the end of the, chapter, of the book of Romans. So this is, um, I think, really, um, there, there's some things we can learn here. So number one, he, he, he says peace. And I think for us, again, in faith, because if we're missing that faith component, the rest of this is going to fall flat for us. But when, when we're waiting on God, and he gives an answer that doesn't quite make sense, in faith, we can have peace. Because God's, God's ways are best. Better than my ways, better than the best plan that I could possibly come up with to try to do the best possible outcomes that I could even imagine. No. God's ways are best. And there's peace when we have faith in God's plans for us. And this is, what I think, what one of the things that we can see in, in Simeon's life. And then secondly, we see um, up in verse 28, and he took him into his arms and blessed God. That's this, this idea of praise. So he sees this baby in that split second. I'm going to have faith. I know what God's doing here. I'm gonna, I, I don't see it all, but I see this baby. I'm going to put my faith in this. And he praises God. He praises God. Now, it, again, that's only possible in faith. If we're like totally putting our, our hearts, um, you know, like putting all of our eggs, we do this, I do this, put all my eggs in one basket, like this is the thing, but it doesn't come through. It has to come through. Gee, I hope it comes through. You know, this kind of really flimsy hoping and really flimsy. No, that's, that's not what it's about. If, if, if our faith is in God, if our faith is in God, 
We can truly turn the phrase, even if it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't know why this sickness is still here. I don't know why I'm still struggling with this thing. Lord, I don't know why I still struggle with loneliness. Lord, I don't know why I can't beat depression. I don't get it. But in faith, God, I know there's something that you're doing in me. Lord, in faith, I know there's something you're leading me towards. Okay? And I can praise you in that. So praise, there's peace. And then something that we see again show up with Anna a little bit later is um, there is a gospel component to this, and you can't get away from it. I think if you like, if you left out this kind of like whole world gospel salvation piece, it would it it would be a really small salvation. God's view of salvation, what God sent Jesus to do, is worldwide, not just for Bethlehem, not just for Jerusalem, not just for the people of Israel. It's for everyone. This message is for everyone. And I think what helps make it clear that Simeon got it, and I think by the Holy Spirit's power he got it, is what he says to to Mary and Joseph in in verse 33 and following. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that Thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. I think he's kind of pointing to, to, to Calvary, to Golgotha. What's going to be happening there, what God's ultimate plan was. And maybe he's speaking these things, not even fully getting those prophecies that he's making. But, but he says these things. And then the second person that briefly we're going to look at that they run into is this prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phenuel and the tribe of Asher. And Asher's going to be super sad. He's not appeared to hear his name read from the Bible. But we can all tell him later. It's actually there. And so she was advanced in years. Again, someone who had been waiting. Somebody who had been waiting for God to come through on his promises. She was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years after their marriage. So they've been married for about seven years. Looks like her husband had died. Then she lived another 84 years. So... Um, Living in this this widow state for, I mean, if we're being generous and saying she got married later in life, like in her 20s, then probably like 57 years she's been living this way, waiting for God. Um, and it's, it's since the temple had been built, said she never left the temple. And she served a night and day with fasting and prayer. At that very moment, at that very moment, she came. So here's Simeon holding baby Jesus speaking these words of blessing and prophecy and praise, and at that very moment, she comes in. And and this is what happens. And she began giving thanks to God. So she's been waiting too. She's been waiting for, it doesn't say in these words, but waiting, well it does say at the end of uh, verse 38, waiting for the redemption of Israel. So that same concept, consolation of Israel, waiting for Messiah to show up, waiting for Messiah to come and fulfill the promises that God had been just laying out all throughout the Old Testament, starting back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. At that very moment, she came up and began to give thanks and continued to speak of him to all those who are looking for the redemption of Israel. So what can we take away from her? So she sees, she's been waiting, she sees Jesus, she does what? Two things. She gives thanks. And the, the, the way that this Greek word refers to this idea of thanks is thankfulness after deliverance. I like that. Not just a generic thank, you know, thanksgiving. Gee, thank you. This is thankfulness recognizing that deliverance has come. The Savior has come, even in the form of a baby, not able to do 
all the things that he's been promised to come and do, but God's faithful, God's good, God's capable, and she believes it in faith, and she gives thanks, because she knows that this is the beginning of the end. In Jesus, this is the beginning of the end. And what, what does she keep going to do? She, and it says she continues to speak of him, speak of Jesus, speak of the Messiah to all those who are looking for the redemption of Israel. So you have this kind of little preview up in Simeon's blessing where he talks about uh, this, that God's bringing forth the Savior in front of all the nations to be a light of, of, of a revelation to the Gentiles. So this is for everybody. And then she shows up and she just can't hold it in. She has to talk about it. I think, again, if faith is going to be the key component for us in how we wait, and it's also going to be the key component for us in how we understand when God actually gives answers, it has to be the key component, again, for us in how we actually respond. Are we responding in peace? Are we responding in praise? Are we responding in thanksgiving? And are we responding in our testimony? And we're not holding this back. I know what God's doing. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about what I've seen him do. And even though this doesn't make sense, I still believe. And I want, I want to tell people. I'm going to tell people. I'm going to tell people in my family. I'm going to tell people that are in similar circumstances. I mean, uh, Sarah and I have gone through some really crappy stuff in our, in our marriage. And that has brought to us opportunities to share what God has done in us and be like beacons of hope for others. I mean, I have to be, I have to believe that the stuff that God allows into your life is gonna bring people in with those same, same experiences. You're gonna commiserate together at times. You're gonna find people that have done what you did, gone through what you've gone through, have those kind of experiences, have those kinds of losses. Those are the opportunities right then and there to speak hope. And to allow that faith, the, the things that we believe about the goodness and the capability of our God. We shouldn't keep our mouth shut. Waiting's hard. And we can wait wrong. And that, that's what I want to warn you about. We can wait wrong because we can wait with, wait with all the wrong motives. Put our hope and our faith in all the wrong things. We can put our hope in things that we think are going to console us, are going to right the wrongs and the hurts and, and the deep wounds in our own hearts. We're going to put it in people, we're going to put it in things, we're going to put it in money. Those things are going to fail us. We can wait wrong. I want to encourage you today, if God has you in a place of waiting, wait in faith. Wait in faith. And that means removing the object of your longing and your waiting from something, something that, that may or may not get you where you want to be, to God. And allow Him to dictate what that answer is going to be. And in faith, believe that it's good for you. Accept it, embrace it, and use what God does in your life, what He reveals to you, to draw others to Him. To draw others, to allow them to see what God's work, how He's working in you, could be God's working in them too. So our waiting can be wrong, but we need to be waiting in faith. And I want to read one passage as we as we close our time together. If you want to turn with me to Isaiah chapter forty, I was so encouraged as I read this, and I just um, wanted to read it as a final comment to us 
as a way to bolster our faith. Bolster our faith in God as we wait in life, because I think life's going to be a series of waits. Some short, some long, but we're going to be waiting for answers, we're going to be waiting for something. And this is an encouraging passage, this was encouraging to my soul as I read it, starting in verse 27, we'll read, I'll read to you through the end of the passage. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you hear what he's saying? God, you paying attention? Do you see this hurt? Do you, do you even hear me? It escapes the notice of my God. But do you hear what that question's missing? If we're talking about faith being in two things, what's it missing? It's missing belief in the goodness of God. If I believe in the goodness of God, I can't believe that my hurts are escaping God's notice. Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not become weary or tired. He understands. His understanding is inscrutable. Love that word. I need to find more reasons to use it. Inscrutable. Sounds like a word that Sylvester, the, the cat, would say. I can't even do it. Can anybody do it? It's, no, not appropriate time. So, inscrutable literally means not able to understand. So he says his understanding is not able to be understood. That's how big our God is. That is encouraging because I'm small, I'm finite, my solutions are oftentimes um, poor and, and weak and not sufficient to actually solve any of the world problems going on in my life. But God's understanding is way bigger than us. So when God's answers don't seem to make sense, I can have faith in knowing that God's ways are way beyond me. And if God could draw a line between all the things that I'm hoping to understand, I still wouldn't get it. But he does anyway. That's what he's done in his word for us. Continue to, to draw really thick red lines between all of the things that he's doing for us. And we just, in faith, need to believe this is good. God's able. Verse 29, I'm doing this really slow, I apologize. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. He increases power through you. Through youths grow weary, though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet they who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. When we wait in faith, that's when God rushes in. That's when God rushes in and strengthens us. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that...